Well, welcome, church. It's Sunday night. It's good to have you with us. We're in the middle of the series called Soul Food, the things you need to know about your Bible. We studied for about six weeks how we got the Bible, the books we have, inerrancy, infallibility, and then started last week looking at preparing the heart for a living encounter with God's Word. That's what we started last Sunday night. Same title, Part B, this Sunday night. The text is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. Get a Bible. Let's study together, church. You, however, so Paul to Timothy, the you is Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, Paul's teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a promise, you know, not many people want to claim. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Not all who profess Christ, but all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. They're going to be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, so they'll be fakers, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and, and being deceived. As Jesus indicated in his famous parable of the soils, the word does not have the same effect in every heart. Not everyone who hears the word is changed by the word, some not at all, some not very much, some a great deal. And so that's what we're looking at in, in this part of this series, preparing the heart for a living encounter with God's word. And the two grand forces in this text are the power of a great example and the power of the scriptures. We talked about that. And in this study, I'm going to finish the first one. We didn't get into the power of the scriptures. We won't for another week. But we started last week on the power of Paul's example to Timothy. So that's where we're going to finish. This power of a great example. Paul called Timothy to look at his life, to look at Paul's life. He encouraged him to follow his example. He, he did it that Chapter 3, verse 10, he, Timothy was to follow Paul's teaching, his conduct, and his purpose. And today I want to pick up the last half of that, 10th verse. You, however, have followed my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So here's what Paul wants Timothy to remember. Point number one. Paul wants Timothy to take note of Paul's suffering. That seems strange to us, but it's so clear in verses 10 and 11. Paul writes and says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Look at 11. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Remember, Paul said, all who want to be godly in Christ are going to be persecuted. So he talks to Timothy about 
the kind of persecution that Paul had experienced. And notice that Paul specifically asks Timothy to remember what happened at Lystra. It's in the middle of that 11th verse, his sufferings that happened to me. And then he says, and at Lystra. There's a reason that Paul wants Timothy to remember that. Timothy had been a citizen of Lystra. It was his hometown. So Timothy probably saw the events that Paul hearkened back to in Lystra. In fact, Luke actually records what happens. Let me take the time to read that to you. It's in Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Here's Paul at Lystra. They perform a miracle. The people are gathering around and they want to start worshiping Paul like, like he's some kind of a god. And Paul is upset. Man, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, their idols, to a living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, all that is in them. Paul keeps preaching. 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Luke writes now about the people But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. This wasn't a light beating, because you don't think someone's dead if they've just left with a couple cuts and bruises. They think Paul's dead. That's how serious this is. 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city on the next day, went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples and returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, apparently, Timothy saw this. Timothy saw Paul minister healing to a lame man. Everything was fine then. Timothy saw Paul explain that the power to heal wasn't his own, but it was a manifestation of the power of the gospel. And Timothy watched as that mention of the gospel, at that mention, Jesus and the gospel, the crowd turned on Paul under the instigation of the Jewish leaders and the people stoned him, leaving him for dead. So Timothy saw that broken, bloody body of Paul lying as though dead on the ground. Paul had done nothing wrong. He had just been an instrument in causing a lame man to walk. But there's more. Timothy also knew that after being beaten and stoned, The text says Paul actually returned to Lystra. He goes back to where he was stoned and he encouraged the disciples there. Wow. I mean, how did Paul encourage them? Well, by telling them that what they had just seen 
Paul's unjust persecution, his beaten, broken body. Paul actually told these people that that was the entry point into the kingdom. Don't be discouraged. Tribulation is the path to glory. Now, if you think I'm kidding, I'm not. That was Paul's actual message. Look at Acts 14, 22. How did he strengthen the souls when he went back to Lystra? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, remember where we are. This whole account is exactly what Paul says Timothy was to remember as he faced his difficult situation on Crete. This is what Timothy was to think about as he would eventually lose all future contact with Paul. Paul wouldn't be around much longer. He's going to be executed. He's not going to keep writing nice letters encouraging Timothy. What's going to keep Timothy going? Paul says, well, remember what happened to me at Lystra. And remember what I said when I went back to Lystra. This is how you enter the kingdom. Timothy, Paul would say, if you don't remember these things, you're going to be shocked when you're persecuted. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be taken off guard whenever things are slow going and difficult and hard. You'll be zealous, but only when the sun is shining. And you won't have the kind of patience you need. You, you won't keep the faith when you have to stand all alone against the crowd that's mocking, ridiculing, persecuting you. You have to keep going in times like that. Timothy, it's right there in the text. Timothy, remember what happened to me at Lystra because Lystra is not some weird exception for people proclaiming Christ. It's how you get into the kingdom. It's part of the path. I think Paul would bring in some way, maybe not to the same degree, but the same kind of reminder, surely, to each one of us. I mean, for the most part, for the most part, there's blessings, but for the most part, the challenges come now, the rewards come later. We have to live with patience. We have to live with an eye to future glory and reward. We have to be consumed with the blessed hope and a future hope. Here's how I think we should apply what we're studying right now to our lives, okay? Let me try and do that. So point number two, but I'm calling it life lesson number one. Attachment to Jesus Christ always comes at a cost. I get that in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Underscore, it's a little word, but it's an important word. Underline that little word, all. Indeed, truthfully, indeed, all, everyone, no exceptions, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. True, there is no price to be paid just for trying to be a good person, a moral person, the best person you can be. Everybody pretty much applauds self-improvement in some way or another. 
Plus, there's not much persecution to be received just for attending to some form of religion. Just about everybody will accept the person who quietly goes about maintaining some form of, you know, religious belief system. There's all sorts of them, live and let live. The trials come specifically to those who, the text says, who want to be godly in Christ Jesus, verse 12, 2 Timothy 3. Sometimes they pay the price of outward persecution. I mean, thousands of Christians die each year around the world. We don't hear as much about it as we should. Sometimes more commonly here, the price of intimidation, a social kind of a price, friendship, acclaim, acceptance, Friends won't be pleased. Educators will mock. Surely you'll be called intolerant. The point here is that Paul moves away from his own life experience, talking about Lystra to Timothy, and then beyond Timothy to you and to me. And so now he makes this point with pretty much universal application. All who desire to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 12. So it just kind of makes us stop. Do do you want to be godly in Christ Jesus? Think about it. Yes? Well, then you're going to be persecuted. Uh, Where did Paul get this idea? In 3.12? I'll tell you where I think he got it. He got it from Jesus. John records these words in John 15, 18 to 20. If you got your Bible, John 15, 18 to 20... Jesus is the speaker. Quote, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, doesn't mean just born in this world, that's everybody. He means the, the mindset, um, the values, the cultural feel. If you're sympathetic toward that worldview. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but but I chose you out of, that's a good definition of conversion, out of the world. Therefore, here's why, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. Jesus is saying now, Don, think about this. Think about this. Remember The word that I said to you, quote, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, did they? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, Jesus didn't share this with his disciples to scare them. He said it to his disciples and to us to prepare So in just the same way you will pack extra food if you know you're not going to be able to buy groceries for a while, you'll put down deeper root commitments to discipleship when you know you're going to be persecuted for your commitment to Jesus. To just Jesus is saying and Paul is saying to just prepare for blessings and deliverance and immediate answers to prayer and miracles. Praise God for those things. But to just prepare for those things is a disastrous thing. 
all who want to be godly in Christ Jesus need to prepare for persecution. And Paul tells young Timothy in his difficult situation, you think about this. You think about this every day. All who want to be godly in Christ will be persecuted. Jesus, if they persecuted me, and they did, they're going to persecute you. It's not an if, it's just a when. Okay, point number three, I'm calling it life lesson number two. The spiritual state of this world is only going to decline and disintegrate. I get that in 2 Timothy 3.13, where it says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, They'll go from bad to worse. Deceiving, and here's what always happens, being deceived. Those who deceive end up being self-deceived. There's a reason Paul tells Timothy this point. But the reason is easily missed if we forget the overall outline in these verses. So Paul is giving Timothy two sources for spirituality. We're looking at only the first one in these studies, the power of a great example. Pretty soon we're going to look at the second, the power of God's word, okay? The power of a great example, the power of God's word. But right between those two sources, Paul gives his two axioms, his two principles. First, Everybody following Jesus will be persecuted. We just looked at that. Second, the world is moving in a direction of moral and spiritual decay. Why is it so important for Timothy to remember those two points? That everybody following Jesus will be persecuted. The world is moving from bad to worse. Why does Timothy have to remember those points? Well, The first point about persecution will give Timothy hope in the middle of trials, okay? His situation isn't unique. Paul says, remember what happened to me at Lystra. Paul was stoned to death just for ministering healing life. Now, the second principle about the spiritual state of this world just getting worse and worse, that isn't to give Timothy comfort. It's to give him warning. So the idea that everyone's going to be persecuted, that's to give Timothy, comfort, and to expect it and to make him ready for it. The idea that the world is getting worse and worse and worse. Remember, Paul's talking to Timothy about the power of a great example. Why does it matter so much? Because they're going to get harder and harder to find because the world is getting worse and worse and worse. There are more rotten examples than good ones. Everyone is influenced by someone Remember, I said last Sunday night, either you seek out and cling to a good example or you'll automatically drift after a bad one. And that's what Paul is warning about in this second principle. You you can't afford to latch on to the patterns and teachings of this world because they aren't innocent. They aren't innocent. They're made to look innocent in every sitcom on television, in every movie. They're made to look funny. They're designed so Christians won't be offended by things that they're supposed to be offended by. And so Paul tells Timothy, this, this world, it's, it's, it's drifting into more and more corruption, more and more wickedness. You can't afford, you can't afford to be careless. They're heading toward destruction. So 
especially when you feel the heat of persecution, while everyone around you seems to be having all the fun, and most of the Christians maybe compromise in all sorts of areas, it's easy to forget that they're all headed toward destruction. Make no mistake about it. There are many times when being godly in Christ Jesus will frequently put you totally out of sync with all that matters in the estimation of the surrounding culture. And so, Paul tells Timothy not to fall for that. It's the same advice that he gives to all of us in Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Conformed to the world doesn't mean, let me just pause. Being conformed to the world does not mean just doing the things the world does. That's the end of the conforming process. Being conformed to the world means no longer being offended by the values of the world. That's where it starts. First, it's just, it's just uh, a mental climatizing act. And then later on, it's the actions and the commitments. So being conformed to the world is, you know, doesn't trouble me like it used to trouble me. Doesn't trouble me like it seems to trouble the writers of Scripture. Note what's at stake when we put these texts together. Here's what's, here's what's in the balance when we follow great examples or poor ones. There's, there's perfection on one hand, and there's destruction on the other. And it all hinges on where you shape your mind in either direction. The process is gradual, almost imperceptible. Being conformed to the world, the examples, that's what we're talking about in our Timothy text, or being renewed. Both happen gradually and both have a lot to do with the feeding of your mind. We're in this middle of a series of teachings on, on God's Word. I know that. But God's Word only has power when it's cherished and applied. It has no power if it's just sort of a background hum that never comes to the front of your mind and challenges the values of the culture around you. Before you open your Bible... Before you open your Bible, determine what way you want your life to go. Because that has everything to do with the effect this is going to have on your mind and on your heart. Or as the scriptures put it, commit your way to the Lord. Make that decision. And he will bring it to pass. Join us uh, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, for our devotional refresh. We're wrapping up Mark's gospel. So many important things there. 7 o'clock, join us there. Let's pray. We're grateful for these times of studying your word. The power of a good example and the way our minds drift either toward the culture or toward Christ. I just pray that you'll give all of us a sense of uh, these two truths, these two truths that all who want to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. In one way or another, in one way or another, uh, 
Christians stand out. They're meant to. And there'll be some kind of feedback to that. And then help us to be so careful with the examples we pick because this world is getting more corrupt, headed toward destruction, and it gets harder and harder for lazy thinkers to believe that. But it's a sure promise from your word. Bless it to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, church. Join us now for our prayer time.